Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're starting a fascinating new project, which I'll tell you more about at the end of the podcast. But but for the sake of what we're doing tonight, we are looking at the pilot movie for the TV series Babylon 5 entitled The Gathering. Let's start with a synopsis. It is the year 2257. And Babylon 5 is an Earth Alliance space station deep in neutral space. Designed as a meeting place for all races, it is the home to the Advisory Council, a council made up of the most powerful races in the known galaxy. In addition to the Earth Alliance, the Mimbari Federation, the Narn Regime, and the Centauri Republic, the council will soon be welcoming their fifth and final member, an ambassador from the mysterious and powerful Vorlon Empire. The station is commanded by Earth Force Commander Jeffrey Sinclair and his second-in-command, Lieutenant Commander Laurel Takashima. The existing four ambassadors represent various facets of conflict. The Centauri Republic is represented by Lando Malari. The Republic was once a powerful force in the galaxy, now waning. The Narn, represented by Jakar, are young and vital people, having secured their freedom from the Centauri. They are now seeking power and revenge. The Mimbari ambassador, Delenn, is contemplative and enigmatic, like the Mimbari. Ten years ago, they waged a devastating war against the Earth Alliance, only to surrender on the verge of victory, for no apparent reason. There are still hard feelings between Earth and Mimbar, but Delenn seems to have a friendly, if guarded, friendship with Sinclair. The Vorlons are almost a complete unknown. They jealously guard their secrecy and almost never interact with the other worlds. The presence of a Vorlon ambassador is indeed a rarity. When the Vorlon ambassador Kosh arrives, Sinclair is momentarily trapped in an elevator. When he arrives to greet the ambassador, he is lying prone on the floor, his body entirely encased in an environmental suit. Babylon 5's medical chief, Benjamin Kyle, must try to find out what happened and save his life. One problem. The Vorlons absolutely refuse to allow the ambassador's environment suit to be opened. They prefer to keep their secrets more so than keeping the ambassador alive. Sinclair disregards that, and trusting Dr. Kyle's oath of patient confidentiality, he orders him to proceed and to never tell anyone what he has seen. What he learns is that Ambassador Kosh has been poisoned. If they could figure out how the poison was introduced, they might be able to synthesize an antidote. With it seeming likely that the powerful Vorlons will extract violent revenge if Kosh dies, Kyle conspires with Takashima to save his life, bypassing Sinclair to protect him. Their plan, to convince the station's licensed telepath, Lita Alexander, to illegally brain-scan Kosh, hoping to witness the poisoning. She is convinced, and discovers two things, how and where the poison was administered, and who did it. Jeffrey Sinclair. The information does help them identify the poison, and work begins on an antidote. Meanwhile, 
Although the nature of the witness is not disclosed, Earth removes Sinclair from his duties concerning the investigation and the advisory council. In council, Jakar makes a surprise move. He recommends that Sinclair be turned over to the Vorlons for trial. While it looks like the motion is deadlocked 2-2, two to two, Jakar pulls another surprise. He's contacted the Vorlons and received their vote. Sinclair is to be remanded to the Vorlons as soon as the Vorlon transport arrives. Security Chief Michael Garibaldi has been working on the case since the beginning, and everyone has an alibi, except Sinclair. In fact, the elevator shows no sign of a malfunction either. Things are not looking good for Sinclair. Garibaldi has some things that are still outstanding. A small one-man boarding pod was found attached to the outside of the station. A tech runner named Del Varner has been seen on the station, which is odd since he is wanted by Earth and is subject to arrest upon arrival. When they search his room, they find his corpse. Sinclair is all but given up, but his girlfriend Caroline talks him into fighting. So he does. In the medical center, Lita has stopped by to inquire about Kosh's condition. Unseen to Dr. Kyle, Lita is switching off things she probably shouldn't. When he becomes suspicious, she tries to kill him, but he fights her off with a medical laser. Escaping the room, she comes face to face with a very surprised Lita Alexander and Commander Sinclair. They've worked it out. Varner was supplying a changeling net, an illegal piece of military gear that allows one to adopt the image of any other person. They are illegal because it is highly dangerous to the wearer. Someone using the changeling net was delivered to the station via the boarding pod and has framed Sinclair. Using internal sensors, they track down the power emissions of the changeling net, and Sinclair and Garibaldi chase him down. He is revealed to be a Mimbari who tells Sinclair, There is a hole in your mind, just before he activates a personal self-destruct bomb. Sinclair barely escapes before a section of the station is blown out. In control, Takashima and her team struggle to regain control of the station, which they eventually do. Later, Kosh takes his place on the council, and Delenn reveals to Sinclair that she was able to identify the culprit. He was a member of a sect that broke away from the Mimbari government after the war with Earth. Babylon 5 reopens for business. So I want to say a couple things about Babylon 5 before we, we launch into this. The first is I am I am really, really excited to discuss this with with you because I know you haven't seen Babylon 5. This is true. And that's that's a hard hard one to come by. Is somebody coming at Babylon 5 and and going through it and and being largely, I assume, uh, ignorant of what what transpires. And the reason that's partially exciting to me is is that I was around. Obviously, I was around before Babylon Five existed, but I was around <laughs> when Joe Michael Straczynski, who writes under the name J. Michael Straczynski and is frequently known as JMS, was going around to science fiction conventions and pitching this idea. He was trying to get fans excited about the idea so that he could demonstrate interest to a network so that he could pitch this idea. And so I, I've been at least two conventions where I listened to him in advance of this show talk about what he was hoping to accomplish. And the, the, the big two takeaways were that he wanted a science fiction program that was 
the example he used was Hill Street Blues um, for this style. And I don't know if that's one that's made it across to, to Britain. Um, but it was one of the earlier adult show relationship cop shows. Uh, not one that I've watched, but, but you know, highly, highly acclaimed program. And, you know, rather than following the mold of kids' science fiction or, or even following the mold of Star Trek, he was going for this different approach. And the other big thing that he was touting on about was that he had a five-year one-and-done story. He had a story in mind to tell over the course of five years, which had never been done on television in that way. <clears throat> and this was his dream. Now... I got to say, I was pretty skeptical of, of the man at the time that I, I, he, he comes off a little BS in person, my personal opinion. And so I didn't really believe, you know, I thought this was hype more than it was reality. Having watched the show, I take that back. It, it's, it is pretty darn clear that he really did have it in mind from even watching this. Uh, you can spot stuff that's years out. And it, it, it's it's impressive. It, it, it is truly impressive feat of television. So watching this, this novel unfold through the eyes of someone who has not seen it is, is going to be both interesting to me and a minefield because... I know what's important and what isn't important. And I am worried that my questioning could inadvertently lead to, you know, showing where the emphasis is. So I'm going to try my damnedest not to do that during the course of the show. All right. So, or during the course of these podcasts for your benefit and for, so I may even kind of try to get you to, to lead some of the conversation on, on these episodes. Because I, I don't want to, um, you know, objectively, this is a show that has things. And, I'll, and I, I, I give you an example of something that is not in any meaningful way spoilery. About the time this came out, there was a, a fairly new newspaper in the United States called the USA Today. Um, we still have it, I think. Um, it was the first newspaper in the United States that was color, with color pictures. Prior to that, you know, they're all black and white. And it was the first national newspaper prior to that all, you know, even the big, big ones like New York Times and whatnot were hard to get in Arizona. They were local paper. There are, there are jokes in this show that may not play. The newspaper in Babylon 5, which we don't see in this episode, but it's, it's called The Universe Today. And it's clearly a play on USA Today, right? You should pay attention to things that are written on it. They will never mention them in the show. They'll show up sometimes years later in the program. And <laughs> not everything, not, and it doesn't happen very often. But in rewatch, you look at it and you go, holy crap. <laughs> they were, they've laid it out. That, so I, I urge you to pay attention to detail in this program. <laughs> Just like along the way, because it does, it does do that. Anyway, uh, not a fan of JMS going into this. After it was over, 
I will say that I was much more impressed with it. I will tell you, I am even far more impressed with JMS's writing after I read, and I've read many books on script writing, but his book, The Complete Book of Script Writing, is the best hands-down book on script writing I have ever read. So uh, I have a lot of respect for the way the man can, can put together a script. That said, not every episode of Babylon 5 is a winner. So, <laughs> ah, with my long preamble out of the way, Simon, what, what did you think of um, The Gathering? Well, for context, uh, there is the fact that I have some knowledge of Babylon 5 in the sense that <clears throat> knowing it's a five-year story that was intended as a five-year story is not a surprise to me. I think I've known that for as long as I've been interested in in wanting to watch the show and I've been wanting to watch the show for about 20 years since it's various people have have recommended you know I think that was the first time someone recommended it to me and said you've absolutely got to see this but then there are a lot of shows like that and you don't right. always get a chance to to watch them straight away especially not if they're a hundred and some episodes long and you know that it's a full you know a, there's a five-year story that you're going to have to commit all 100 episodes to to watching in order to see the whole story so that's the that's the kind of perspective i've i've got going in it has you know somewhat legendary status in that respect but i don't know an awful lot about what what it actually is okay so i think probably what i thought most was i was quite surprised i was quite surprised thinking that this was going to be a kind of opening for an epic five-year space opera of some sort and discovering that actually it was more of a kind of daytime TV adaptation of Agatha Christie. Yeah, all right. I mean, I think one of it is a murder mystery. That, yeah. Okay, there wasn't a murder as it happens, but all of the other conventions are there and... That's that's what you get from watching it. It 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 gives you the the mystery. It gives you all of the suspects. It gives you a detective of sorts. And by the end of it, more or less everything is kind of wrapped up. And in the meantime, it 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 there are there are twists and contrivances that owe a great deal more to that kind of melodrama writing than i would associate with so okay i haven't seen hill street blues but i've seen nypd blue which is also a stephen bocco show and obviously hill street blues influenced law and order and all these other kind of cop shows that that came afterwards uh, they're they're procedurals they're much more kind of uh, straightforward, I guess, in a way, or at least they're more driven by the context and the and the situations. So that that wasn't the first thing I think that um, that sprung to mind, even when I sort of recognised that what you were watching here was more of a crime show than some sort of sci-fi. Hmm. Um. What well, one thing I didn't I didn't mention, and I think I should have. Going into it, again, when JMS was giving his, his hype on it, he, 
he would always qualify this. This is one story, one five-year story. But the reality of television is, at that time, every episode needs to be a story. So there is going to be a beginning, middle, and end story in every episode. It is a, it is an, it is a, a very early phase hybrid between that sort of one five-year story. So you can't actually stop in and watch episodes of Babylon 5. And with the exception of, say, what we would call a mythos episode in the X-Files, it, it, it is, you know, you, you can't. And so the fact that some of these will be murder mysteries and others will be uh, various forms of adventure stories or it is completely consistent with the formula of this program. Um, and you know, that was a balance, that was a concession that they had to make to network television. I'm not sure. I think it's a bad thing. I guess, I guess the main thing I, is I'm surprised about the tone. Um, and it's the fact it's not really what I was expecting. And it, it made me think of, um, I don't know how much John le Carre, who, as we record this, sadly uh, died a couple of days ago. I don't know how much of, of his work you've read. But his most famous character is George Smiley, who mm -hmm. appears in a number of novels, including the very celebrated Carla trilogy, which begins with Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. But he's been around a while before that, and some of the earlier novels set up the the kind of background, the 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 scene for for that. So it, you know, it's cleverly plotted, and it really does build in a way that you appreciate more even though again any one of those novels you could read as a standalone you appreciate it more if you if you follow the thing through but the weird yeah. thing about reading smiley if you start from the beginning is you begin with uh, you actually begin with call for the dead which is which is a pretty it's it's um le Carre's first novel it's a remarkable debut it's very good and it's very espionagey and that's not the surprising thing the surprising thing is that the next book that smiley who is this kind of um very academic uh very um thoughtful mm -hmm. but also cunning um spy master essentially is pitched into a story that is all about investigating a murder at a public school. So he none of that comes into play. He is just it's just the role of detective. You could happily drop this novel from any from any reading of Smiley because it is basically just a murder mystery that happens to have Smiley in it. It's very well written because it's by Le Carre, etc. etc. And I guess the reason that that sprung into my mind was because I was sort of hoping that maybe this is the 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 kind of um, the, the, this is Straczynski's murder of quality, if you like, and that he's not kicked off with his five-year master story because that, in the way that the Smiley stories do, it, it is going to is going to build slowly and why not if you've got five years you don't want to you don't it, want it, to have nowhere to go it very much builds slowly in particular through the first year um it it, it very much builds slowly and it is i guess i'd say that the the bulk of it is about political intrigue you know i mean we are well i was at, i was i was get i was certainly getting 
a sense of of that at least it it had i mean the other thing is it's i don't know it's not quite the west wing or whatever and the fact that they throw all of these names at you the nun the centauri the mimbari the vorlons um i had to write all these down after because i just wasn't getting them at the at the time um it's and i guess it is probably too early for the sort of replay tv generation but it's the kind of thing i guess it'll be reinforced as you go through you'll be reminded of who all these people are because it's a lot to take in even if you were watching an actual program about uh, political intrigue based on some kind of familiar historical scenario five different races with five different agendas that's quite a lot to take on board and when they are when they are kind of alien races with strange names that you literally know nothing about right uh, you can barely see through the prosthetics then it's even more alienating yes i i'll i'll go along with that the, the you those are the big uh, the big four really you know the mimbari the earth the centauri and the the narn and those particular people and it is the dynamic between them and their empire as well i don't know what the word would be for them governments peoples they've gone out of the way to call them all by different names you know empire republic federations alliances no two alike there so um yeah it it will not become it will not become difficult because they become real people and not just weird aliens in yeah in costumes yes but it, yes, I, I guess what's interesting about it is it's it's um, it's not making any concessions to the fact that this is an opener, and I guess I quite like that in a way. Um, but it makes it very hard to judge the show. It reminds me of the fact that actually, you know, when I watched the first episode of The West Wing, I was a bit kind of meh about it. I don't think I necessarily watched the second or third episodes, but I eventually kind of did dip back in and got completely hooked on it and now when i watch that first episode i look at it and i think this is an absolute masterpiece i don't understand how anyone could not recognize that when watching it but sometimes you do need to have the context in order to appreciate what's being done in order to appreciate the the kind of craftsmanship if you like i yeah i i mean it it is i am a fan of it and it, it it is um like I say, there will be episodes that you just... I, in fact, I was just... I was looking at a something on JMS's Twitter feed today and somebody asked him about an episode that's particularly uh, bad. I mean, universe, you know, every, every show has an episode that everybody considers bad. That one's the bad. And, I, and I, they asked him about something about what inspired him on that episode. And his response was, what inspired me was the moronic part of my brain. Um, you know, I mean, he he's... <laughs> He's an interesting character. Um, a, a huge body of work. I mean, an absolutely staggeringly huge body of work. Not just the fact that he wrote, eh, let's see, how many episodes of Babylon 5? About 191 episodes. Gosh. Out of 110. I think there are two full seasons where he just wrote every last episode. Maybe even three full seasons. Um, it... it uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, I think he was script editor and, and writer on Murder, She Wrote. Murder, She Wrote, that's what this is like. 
Yeah, there you go. I was bringing that up. I think he was a uh, created writer on uh, Sensate, uh, which is a highly acclaimed show. I haven't seen gosh, just just tons of stuff, hundreds and hundreds of episodes of TV shows over the years, which is one of the reasons why I think that his book on uh, script writing is uh, is so good. The, you know, the fundamental principle behind what he tries to convey in that book or the, the, the takeaway for me that it's not just it's not just having fantastic ideas it's not just being able to write them down on paper and and tie them up together but there's one more piece that you have to do to be a successful tv scriptwriter you have to be able to write something that they can actually shoot and f- produce yes and this show is a shoestring budget compared to programs like star trek shot in a in an industrial complex that they converted to studios. Um, yes. I mean, you know, this is, I think, the first program in the U.S. that used computer graphics instead of models. And I have notes. Yeah, I, well, it wouldn't surprise me. We'll. Th- this is very early video toaster stuff. So uh, it, it, it has some interesting aspects to it, and it has some limitations to it that, that show up to it. And, uh, you know, we can... I mean, it wasn't all awful, but what's interesting about it is that it's quite prominent. I mean, actually, not only was it not all awful, some of it was really quite effective, but a lot of it was quite basic. And although obviously, you know, at the time it must have been quite cutting edge for what it was, I still can't understand how to viewers it wouldn't have appeared like something that was very obviously computer animated and yet it it the prominence that they give some of those weaker shots mm. belies the fact that they have any kind of it, it feels like one of those scenarios where you've spent a lot of time and money making something so you're damn well going to put it on the screen even though it doesn't quite convince a bit like an expensive but rather poor rubber costume in doctor who say yeah i i think that they were it may have not have been so much as spending a whole ton of money on it is that they were reaping the speed benefits of the computer graphics. So whereas a show like Star Trek Next Generation, which was in at about the same time, is using model work, you have a limit to the amount that you can put in with the amount of time you have in your production schedule. And I know that one of the things that they had going was that with the computer graphics, they could double that. So it wasn't so much about sure. spending the money; it was about having it available to them. And I don't, you know, whether or not that was but, a good but, but idea still, or not. It's still doing it because you can. It's still saying yeah. we are going yeah. to put a five-second shot in here when a one-second shot would do because we can. A one-second shot would have been fine from a storytelling point of view, and you'd have had less time to spot all the flaws. Yeah, and 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 remembering that this was a pilot and a proof of concept. Uh, it was a year over a year. Well just about a year before this became a series after this went out. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, this was his, here's what we're going to do. So th- everything they're doing here is at their most rudimentary. We're finding our feet level that, that is not going to say that necessarily the computer, the computer graphics definitely get better as the series go on. Well, I can, yes, I can imagine that. And so, uh, you know, here, I, I guess I can give it a pass. I'll say this. I would. I would normally save this for the first episode, but I'll say this: legendary screw up 
in Babylon 5. Absolutely legendary screw-up in Babylon 5. It was shot in widescreen, even though we did not have widescreen TVs in those days. So uh, they were preparing it for the future. Unfortunately, the, the FX guys didn't get that memo, and so all the CG shots were shot in 4.3. <laughs> so when they released it on DVD, it's in widescreen. This, the gathering is not. The gathering is in 4.3. Everything else is in widescreen on the DVDs, and they've upscaled the graphics, which make them look even worse. And, and Babylon 5 fans everywhere are screaming for Warner Brothers to redo the FX and release the thing on Blu-ray. And yeah, there's no, uh, there's no apparent interest there from Warner Brothers to do that. But, you know, even if they get better, what we're going to be watching is in some ways going to look worse because of this, uh, this screw up. I think they should have just released the show in 4.3 and instead. But there you go. All right. Let's see. What else? Uh, the other thing we should know is that this program was put to, together for the Primetime Entertainment Network, which in the early 1990s, a whole bunch of people were trying to create new networks. So prior to that, we had the big three, CBS, ABC, NBC. And, uh, you know, this is about the time Fox became a network. There were several others. There was a Paramount Network. There was the, the P-10 uh many of which are now long gone. Uh, you know, this was kind of like the, uh, the the big show for P10, P-T-E-N. Um, and so, you know, again, not as much money as, say, a big production house would have. It, it, but, but something that they were willing to gamble on because they needed content uh, for this show. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the story itself. Um, or or let, let's, let's hit... Again, I'm trying to do everything I can not to try to highlight certain things. So I've kind of got a, a, a list of uh, just story points that we could talk about. And, and maybe that'll work and, and maybe it won't. I, I'm going to start with the conceit that you have to believe on in the show, apart from space travel and things like that and aliens, is that telepaths are a real thing, right? That, that, is, that is important to this show. Um, Yes, I mean that was fairly, fairly central to this episode. Yeah, um, and and the fact that they bring in their telepath and 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 I and I like you know even from just what we see in this episode, I like what we are shown that you know someone has recognized a that telepathy is is real and clearly it's been documented, and that b that it has enormous implications, and so therefore it is highly licensed, trained, and regulated. Yes, although I'll tell you that my favourite scene in the whole episode, my favourite hot concept in any of this, was the the scene where she is doing her job, and and reading the mind of someone during the the process of a business deal. Because yeah. if you're going to if you're going to invent a sci-fi concept, then nothing is going to make it feel more authentic than realizing where someone is going to make money out of it. Yes, exactly. And it ceases to be an amazing thing and starts just to be a business transaction. And I just, I thought that was beautifully done. Yeah, I, I think it's it's uh, well shown in this episode, the way that it's done. 
Um, and, you know, we also get the, you know, a little bit about the, the training and we get a little bit about, you know, the things that are no-nos like scans without permission. And uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure that these things will have many more facets of the telepath experience that we'll experience along the way. But, you know, it, it is one of those things that is a show that is relatively, relatively strict sci-fi as opposed to fantasy that they have gone with this, you know, telepathy is a thing. We're, we're, we're just being all in on it. I don't have a problem with that. You, you, you can't, yeah, you can't sort of elevate one bit of fantasy above another. Well, I think you, I mean, I think you could, you know, aliens from outer, from outer space. Yes. They would not look like that. You know, anthropomorphic seems highly unlikely. But the fact that there might be life out there, sure, we don't have any evidence of it one way or the other. We got a pretty good body of history that says telepathy is not a thing amongst humans. Now, maybe we'll find out, you know, something about that. Maybe it's artificially created or who, who knows what we might learn along the way. But just from where we're set here, she's from generations of tele natural telepaths. She says that in the intro. And, you know, it's like, okay, that's apparently a thing. <clears throat> that's apparently a thing that really happens on on the earth that these people come from which is different from the earth we come from that i i and think 20, that was probably 2257 that's that's sufficient time for generations <clears throat> yes didn't didn't say how far back those generations went that is true that is true but yeah 2257 it's also interesting that the narn have no telepaths apparently as a race and would really like to get them which is also very authentic feeling because obviously you don't want to have a disadvantage in something like that in, in the world because telepaths are obviously weaponizable, important in, in negotiations and contracts. Um, yeah. So I thought, I thought that was a nice, a nice piece, uh, as well. Let's, uh, let's look at the alien races. I kind of see the Centauri, <clears throat> And forgive me, but I kind of see the Centauri as the United Kingdom. The once Which one's proud the Centauri? And, oh, big hair. Oh, big hair, yeah. God. Yeah. You know, more than anything I mean the whole thing is a bit is a bit Sylvia Anderson, really. The way in which the alienness is suggested by these incredibly peculiar costumes and prosthetics. But uh, I, yeah, this, it, with the Centauri particularly, I mean, I've got to say, I wasn't a particular fan of it, but I still preferred it in UFO with the pink hair and what have you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's um, their 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 race once great, once let's call them an empire, even though they go by republic, reaching out across the stars, dominating other planets, and now in decline and and hitching their coattails on basically the earth alliance um his line about his line about we've become a we've become a tourist attraction for god's sakes open nine to five earth time and i can i can recall some speeches that i've heard from i want to say tony blair but I, I won't swear to that about how did he call it heritage england right they're marketing that they're marketing england as a tourist attraction to the rest of the world. And I couldn't help but see the parallels there to the old British Empire. 
not saying Britain isn't, you know, that's that's not an indictment against Britain. I mean, Britain was a big, big deal in the world at one point. And I think there's probably some different and and mixed feelings for various people around the world about that legacy. The sun never set on the British Empire. Right. And And, that's kind of what they're... All that pink on the map of the world. But yes, we did a lot of damage. And we see that necessarily a good thing here with the Centauri having previously enslaved Jakar's people, the Narn. This is just one of those when your when your empire contracts, you leave behind a lot of people who may have not so fond memories of that time. So that that was kind of what I saw there. I'm not quite sure who the Narn are supposed to be. In, in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, trying to make a parallel between Ameri- uh, current Earth uh, situations. I, I, you know, I think Earth Alliance is, is kind of supposed to be America. But for the Mimbari and the Narn, you know, they're not quite as straight parallels as, as some of the others. So there's a lot of animosity between those two, between those two races. And then we have the Mimbari. And I'll, I'll, say they're probably the more important of the alien races and that, that may not be strictly true but but because they're more intertwined with earth because of that war 10 years ago well there's only they're, they're only probably due to my lack of close observing but there are only two things at the end of the episode that seemed to me outstanding questions that needed to be answered in the five-year story it was setting up Okay. And they were both connected with the Mimbari. We didn't know why the war ended. That was, yep. There was a big deal made out of how that was very mysterious. And we got no explanation of it. Yeah. And then, very much towards the end of the episode, there is that thing about the the hole in your head. Yeah. And, and, and the missing 24 hours. And no explanation of that. So we are we're waiting for some some plot that is going to explain all that too i think so i think this is one of the nice things about babylon 5 you are correct you have identified the two things that you were supposed to notice in this episode and they will be answered which is nice when you consider that in um the the empty child and the doctor dances the question that you expect should be answered is what happened to those two years of captain jack's life that he can't remember (laughs) yeah this is just 24 Um, hours it's reassuring to know that this is deliberate and we you know we we stand a chance with getting some kind of closure on it some kind of payoff and it won't be five years for the payoff on those things that that is that is actually fair, fair enough fair enough you know um, and obviously but part, it's... part of the five-year setup, which, you, to to be fair, it's world-building, isn't it? So you, yeah. you could tell any story. It doesn't matter whether it's a a kind of country house murder mystery or something something else more engaging. But the point about it is that while everyone is doing their business, in the background, you are introducing these five alien races and you're exploring Babylon 5 and the kind of setup it is and discovering the world of 2257 and all of that is clearly going to be quite important if that's the context that 
you know the next five years are going to unfold over yeah and, and the, you know there are there are the, particularly the first season is a lot of world building and there is i mean it's not like an info dump world building i mean you just spend time in this world and naturally they begin to you know fill in the pieces of day-to-day life and how things work and how things are and i would guess maybe a third of the episodes build pieces that you need later and maybe two-thirds of the episodes build pieces that you'll never need later it it's it is uh i'm gonna try to keep track of that as it goes another piece that i'll just say here at the front that i thought and again this it sounds like i'm just heaping way too much praise on jms um but i in a way i am the other facet of his patented five-year story arc that he had developed was apparently trap doors and and we have talked about this uh, i think a lot of times when it comes to say doctor who you know a, a companion doesn't get a companion usually doesn't get a story arc a companion usually particularly in the classic series comes in until the actress in those days decides to quit or is asked to leave and then they're gone they don't they don't how sometimes that's just because they get pregnant or they they can't stand working with Tom Baker or whatever whatever it happens to be it's it's a reality of production per Straczynski every character in the show has a trap door if they leave he can fix it there will be actors who leave the show at times unexpected for medical or whatever along the way and it still works you can you can look at it at the end and go, oh yes, that makes sense. This would have been that person, but <laughs> they're gone, and they slotted somebody else in there. It, it's it's lovely. It's really well. I certainly appreciate that because the, as we have discussed, the thing that I don't particularly enjoy is where they slap some other actor in the role and say, hey, audience, you don't care if we just tell you that this is now the same character you were watching before you'll believe it won't you yeah they uh, i think there's one minor character under heavy prosthetics that they changed the the actor on um but you know really minor minor character that had to come back a year or so later and they just couldn't get them and so they they brought in somebody else but not, none of the majors like that if they have to go they they go <laughs> they they're, they leave uh, they're written out usually properly usually and uh and it and it i'll be darned if it doesn't still work so very very impressed with that let's look at um delenn of the mimbari their race is thousands of years more advanced than the others that per jakar talking to them so they're they're more advanced than earth they're more advanced than centauri um they're obviously powerful they were destroying earth and then they quit uh, that's that's a big deal so well, yeah especially if you yeah. live on earth <clears throat> yes and 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 i love the fact that people on earth don't know that you know I mean, the guys who are on the line and the military know and the politicians know but it's been largely kept because that's exactly what you do oh no we beat them we beat them they surrendered and they're not you know they're, they they will learn more about the surrender obviously uh later on but i mean they they just literally surrendered and on the eve of victory and everyone on earth just generally thinks that we beat them in that battle 
And, you know, Sinclair, who was one of the few survivors, knows that is not true. And obviously, the you know, the Narn know, because that's what Jakar tries complaining about and gets his gets uh, gravity handed to him on a ring. Let's see. The character of Delenn in the in this is supposed to be male. Okay. It is played by actress Mira Furlan, uh, part of the whole alienness. They tried that. Um, you have seen Mira Furlan elsewhere. Um, she was in Night Stalker, the newer series. She was the old lady who was killing people with her son's help to stay young. I will have to take your word for it. I, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me. I, it's, you know, if you, you might remember the fact that sometimes her gentleman caller would come and see her with no wig on and she'd be all hideously old and stuff. But, uh, and, and then. Oh, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that is the same actress who was, who was playing. What they found after this movie was that they weren't fooling anybody. So they just, you know, it's not mentioned in this one, but the intent was her to be male. Um, going forward, they just, treat her as female and and go on but that was part of the trying to make them alien uh, you know just not not quite how we would define them so oh, let's see what else have we got that i interesting of course we've got jakar who seems to be the scheming bad guy uh, that's the 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 big i want to say the big reptile guy but apparently they're actually marsupials well, I don't trust Delenn, but I don't know. Don't tell me whether I'm right or wrong. But uh, they're definitely enigmatic. Yeah, it's it's very interesting the way she she is furtive when she's caught in what seems like a lie. Like when he said, "They told me I had a hole in my mind." Oh, that's uh, mm, yeah, that's a Mimbari insult. Yeah, that's just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And it's nice that Sinclair obviously can tell that that's a lie. And, you know, he confronts her on it. And her, her response is, I would never tell you anything that wasn't in your best interest. Yes, which is exactly, it's the hallmarks of a character with an agenda. Yes. <laughs> she, yes. she wants to be, or he wants to be the one pulling the strings, making sure. And whether or not you agree that Delenn's assessment of your best interests is correct. That's not relevant. Mm-hmm. And it's also, it's in, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, the way she said, I would never tell you anything that wasn't in your best interest. That's like saying, you know, first off, I might not tell you something that, I might hide from you something that is in your best interest. That's <laughs> like, not saying, that's not saying I wouldn't withhold information for your benefit or not for your benefit, but it's also saying that I might lie to you for your benefit. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, a, a strangely worded line, and, and you can get away with it because she's an alien. And they obviously don't have perfect English skills. So you could take it as being an intentional, that's a very intentionally I'm lying to you line, or that's a very intentionally my English is a little awkward line. And uh, I, I like that. Um, it's, yeah. It, it it fits. Let's see what else have we got here. Um, the 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 non the ambassador. He's the one with the the incredibly slick chat up technique, right? Yes, yes. The one that wants to to sleep with the telepath. Yeah, smooth. Yeah, he he was smooth. 
he's like, um, smooth guy, smooth guy. Um, he's obviously set up here as the 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 bad guy. I mean, he helps the bad guys try to frame Sinclair. We don't know whether or not we don't know whether or not he knew that. Does that make sense? We we know that his people helped the guy get on board the ship. We do not know whether they have any knowledge of why the guy wanted to get on the ship or what he was planning to do. We also, you know, know that he was trying to get Sinclair shipped off to the Vorlons, but we don't know why. I mean, my read on it from watching this is that the Narn... The Narn want to be the most powerful beings. You know, they're jockeying to be number one. They're they're the underdog. They're the guys that were beaten down. And now that they're on the march... You know, they're on the move to dominance. We, we want to be, we want to crush the Centauri because they were nasty to us. They want to ally themselves with the Mimbari because they're stronger than Earth. And, you know, they've got technology and we've got the drive and the heart to dominate the universe. And I think, you know, I think they see Earth as the currently dominant species in the galaxy, if that makes sense. Because Earth beat the Mimbari, so that puts them above the Mimbari, quote-unquote, in the eyes of people. The Centauri are on the way down. So I think, you know, I think it's just wanting to undermine Earth, Earth's position in the Alliance, which would improve his. So I, I think that's what it is. Um, and I'm not saying that from a standpoint of looking forward either. It, that is just trying to, to evaluate this in the moment of what we see. And I don't know that we'll ever, there's no other mention to this ever, so I don't think it it it, it actually matters. But that's um, just how I take it. Uh, and then, of course, the Vorlons, which I'm going to tread lightly on here, because I, what, what was your impression of, of where the Vorlons sit in the, in the scheme of things in the galaxy? Well, the strange thing about the Vorlons is their mysteriousness, the fact that no one seems to know no one seems to have seen one. So the suggestion is that they are not... And the, and the, the Vorlon ambassador is the last to join. Mm-hmm. So the suggestion is they are not naturally uh, allying themselves with anyone else. Okay. That they are more insular, I guess. Okay. Uh, that that's All of that is fair. All of that's completely fair. Nobody, no, The Vorlons don't interact with anybody basically, or they haven't previously done much, um, as witnessed by Earth's files, having very big files with nothing in them. That that's I won't go any further on that, um, just because I think might be reading something in there we don't know until future, so I'll, I'll try to, I'll stand by. Um, what did you think of Sinclair as a commander? I didn't find him a very interesting character, I have to say. Um, even though he likes Tennyson, as a commander, he's he he was, I guess he was a little boring because he was so idealistic. You know, he's the he's the selfless. He's 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 decorated as a war hero, and yet he know, he knows the truth about it. He's the the selfless commander who, even when he is suspected wrongfully of having attempted this murder his main concern is not clearing himself but it is 
maintaining the the peace between these races he has he has no vices as far as i can see okay he appears to have no wishes or desires beyond his own duty yeah he is a little he is a little um vanilla and yeah i i i think we get a little more out of him what did you think of his performance there, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go out there on a limb and say that there are some performances coming out of Babylon Five from various actors, uh, maybe even this time, depending on how you feel, that were truly awful. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, I, I, I generally felt that the kind of standard of of directing and acting in across the board in this was sort of daytime TV level. Okay. So it wasn't that he was outstandingly bad. It's just that it was all pretty poor. I do notice that he has sort of a not looking at the camera acting style or not looking at the... I don't know how to phrase that exactly. It, it's, don't, it's, do, he's looking that slightly askew. Most of the time, unless it's House of Cards. Hmm. Well, no, no, it feels more like when he's talking to someone, not just the camera, but so when he's talking to someone, it kind of has this feeling like, He's got his head turned up a little bit higher than it should be, and then looking down on them, askance. Right. I, 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 I don't know what that's supposed to do, but it's like, are, are you trying to show me your chin, or is that just your way of? I mean, he's a, uh, he's had a, uh, a decorated acting career prior to that of sorts, or at least uh, in paper. But yeah, he's he's pretty generic. First officer Takashima, I thought the the one interesting thing about her is that she gives that rather long speech about how her career was going nowhere on Mars because she wouldn't pay bribes and yeah and then Sinclair yeah. comes along and teaches her no play within the rules and and so I'm going to play within the rules but this time I'm going to break the rules you know it's been the first time in a long time Moments after she explained that she has illegal coffee beans being made in the hydroponics. It's very, gardens. yeah, it's very, it's very much the kind of, it does, it does feel like watching a soap opera, that stuff. I mean, right from the, the coffee, it's that, that, that is, is just, it's like watching Neighbours or something. <laughs> the, it's the staple of daytime telly that one one character goes to another character's house and then talks about themselves and and what you know what this agonizing decision they're facing and why the, these things from the past make it so agonizing for them and yeah Straczynski was, um, is notorious for that he likes to express to his characters some facet of their characters through some anecdotal tale that he likes to tell he he does do that a fair amount. I I mean I don't mind it as a I don't mind it as a as a technique. It's just when it becomes if if you're in a situation and that you know you kind of throw it in. And I mean it's interesting. That that's why that's why they do it in the soap operas because they have nothing else. That's you know right. that that is the staple of what they're doing. And of course it's because it works. It's it's interesting. You find out something a little bit more about the character and it engages you and helps you to understand why the dilemma that they're facing now is so important and why you should care about it. 
And when it's done well, it kind of fits with everything else you've seen and perhaps even unlocks the character in a way that makes you realise why they've been acting the way that they have been acting and exactly what it is that has been motivating them already when you you weren't necessarily sure of it. Hmm. But when it when it stops the action like this, and to be honest with Takashiman, there is there we've seen so little of her other than sort of just standing there yeah um, declaiming the so so what what it's doing is it's stopping the action so that we can just have all of this kind of exposition about her backstory and it it's even done in a way where you just think why why are these characters just sitting around drinking coffee and yakking and even if they're sitting around drinking coffee which you know everyone likes to do from time to time they're at least talking about something that is more important than when she used to break the rules before she met Sinclair. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Kyle has just asked a question yeah. and the answer to that question is actually quite important. And, do, you know, yeah. would you would you really give all <laughs> this kind of... That's a, uh, that's a good question. And I'll, I will say, we'll come back to that point on my last point that i have on my thing because it i think i think it speaks to it directly that something you may not know um that that is production background information um let's see what else we've got garibaldi obviously there's something wrong in garibaldi's past since the senator thinks he's not the guy and and clearly even garibaldi has his doubts about being the guy don't know what it is, although although I will say they they actually tipped it in this episode. You just they didn't mention it. Um but but we can come back to that later on. Um one of those things that they do in the show that later you realize, oh, oh there's definitely one of those in here. Dr. Kyle, I don't really have anything about him at all. You know he's he's not really in it enough. He has an important part, but he he's obviously got this kind of as as Takashima does this kind of apparently blind loyalty to Sinclair. I think that I think we'll see that in a lot of people uh, in this show because I think what just like that bit with Takashima talking about how it was Sinclair that came and pulled her together. I think you'll find that that is true for other characters in this show um that that is the kind of commander that sinclair is that that guy he is that guy that that salvages people and they are loyal to him so i i don't think that's too spoilery i mean we've seen that in takashima so i mean that that is the guy that is who he is Uh, i don't know whether that's the case with kyle or not but obviously they're very loyal to him his girlfriend Caroline, not, I'm not too impressed with her. I, I felt like she was the worst actress of the bunch. And I, maybe because she got more lines than Takashima did, but. I, 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 I wouldn't have said there was anything to split them apart, really. Gen, you know, generally not great. I think the ex, the exception, actually, that, that's not entirely fair because I think that uh, Jerry Doyle as Garibaldi pretty much walks away with every scene he's in he's definitely got an elevated level of charisma about mm. him and you feel like 
you feel like he's a character who could have done something that actually did earn that senator's disapprobation and yet you'd also quite happily watch another scene with him in because he's the character or the actor in whose company you most enjoy spending time very much a, a fan favorite i think i think you're i think you're on to that i think that's that's very much true um they also make uh i'm down to my last two here <laughs> they also make a big point about babylon's one two three four um yep i remember the very first time i heard that the the words that came to my mind were sinclair saying the following babylon one sank in a swamp babylon two burned down babylon three burned down fell over sank in a swamp <laughs> that that is what comes to mind when i hear that speech every from day one when he gave it the first time and babylon four yeah, yeah. disappeared mysteriously 24 hours became before it became operational but we're gonna keep building them oh yeah that should be on my that should be on my list yes I have I have made a note of it. I just did, I I failed to move that note under the five year um, five year story section. But yes, mm. why did why did Babylon four disappear? Yeah, um, but I think you know, it's like we just keep building things. We're humans. That's what yes. we do. We build. We're builders. We're builders. Theme of the show: builders. But it but it but that that it, that kind of sums up Sinclair's character and why he is so uninteresting. Because he does have this faith in what he's doing and the, he, he does his duty and he believes his duty to be the right thing, that what he's doing is important. Mm-hmm. And it is. I'm not disputing that. But what makes him so particularly boring is that he doesn't think about why it is. He doesn't think about why, he's in, why it's important. He just does it. Yeah, I, I think there's because a good argument a, that says if somebody's builder. trying to frame him and kill an ambassador, thwarting that plot is more important than taking the fall for it and protecting your friends. Because that's obviously got wider implications and is probably going to screw up your friends too. Well, but it will po- yeah, but I mean, the thing is that what he's trying to preserve is the peace. He's trying to stop it causing a war and i can kind of understand why you go well it, it it would be important to know the truth but if if knowing the truth isn't going to save more lives than maintaining the diplomatic balance that is currently in play then it's going to have to wait mm. so i kind of i kind of understand the logic of it i understand why it's the right decision what i would just appreciate was a little bit more intellectual curiosity i suppose Hmm. Okay. Um, do you have anything specific else you want to talk about before I hit just a couple of things about the production and then I'm done? I guess we've talked, I mean, we've talked a bit about some of the kind of the writing and the way in which Straczynski's using these soapy techniques. And I kind of felt like I'm not thrilled to hear that he's written 90 more episodes. (laughs) Not because I... Not because I doubt anything that you've said about his ability as both someone who can write good, workable scripts. You know, it's a workmanlike story. He's mm-hmm. produced a script that a director can go and film 
and a and a and a producer can budget for and and that's great and not only that he's clearly someone who is capable of plotting at a very intricate and high level but his dialogue is awful well it's <laughs> it's workmanlike shall we say yeah. <laughs> it does not in any way sparkle and i mean you mentioned there are there are jokes like the paper being called Universe Today instead of USA Today, which I didn't spot. I don't think there is one I in didn't... this. I don't think there is one in this pilot. I'm not sure. Okay, so I didn't spot that. So in fact, there were no jokes in this pilot. Everyone was just extraordinarily po-faced for the whole thing. Yes, I think I think you're right there. I don't. Oh well, there was the beep beep at the end. Wasn't that a joke? Uh, oh yeah, the tag scene. Hmm. <laughs> the tag scene. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that was. I, I don't know. Okay, yeah. Uh, there are not a lot of not a lot of jokes in this. Kind of a serious time, but yeah. All right, fair enough. It it is, but but it, but without the without the humor, it becomes harder to care about the characters. The fair enough. There's Fair there's enough. not there's not a lot to latch onto. We learn just we have this factual information about say Takashima and her relationship with Sinclair. We don't have much of a sense of her character, what makes her tick, what makes her laugh, what makes her get up in the morning. Coffee. Um, yeah. Well, the the yeah the coffee is probably more telling than anything else. Yeah. The fact, I mean, I appreciate the, the, the fact that they sort of go out of the way to demonstrate that she is a high flyer who is willing to break the rules, but understands the need or when to play the game or whatever that, you know, that's kind of what's, what's been shown. But I still don't care about it. I kind of care, a bit, like I say, a bit more about Garibaldi just because there's a bit of fun to him. And I think mostly that comes through the, the performance. I think I think all of that improves with time in in the in the series. There's more humor. The the characters become more human. Um, so three dimensional, yeah, no, perhaps. Yeah. 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 I think that I think that works out. So um, just need some time and opportunity to have more interactions in a in a day to day environment. I think is the thing. Any other things? I think that's probably more or less it from me i will i will say one thing is just kind of aside really calling back to the fact that i've been waiting to watch this show for 20 years and uh, in in the meantime i've listened to a big finish doctor who audio a number of times don't know whether you've heard it because it's got the seventh doctor in um but it's it's um it's a sequel of sorts to the one doctor called bang bang a boom oh yeah i've heard that one uh, and it and it's a it's a riff on a number of things including obviously the eurovision song contest there are loads of star trek jokes in it which i know enough about star trek to get but i was watching this babylon 5 pilot thinking oh, this is where all this stuff is coming from it's possible i i remember bang bang boom boom yeah that was a good that was a christmas one right a comedy it was it was a it was a comedy one. I don't know if yeah. it was as overtly well. I mean, I guess the one Doctor isn't Christmassy either, is it? They're just no I the just pantomime they the... episodes. Yeah. So they 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 have that kind of feel of being fun and frivolous. 
And part of that is because it, they they go out of their way to create these very, very kind of eccentric aliens to the point where you couldn't actually realise them on screen because they're taking advantage of, of audio as a medium. Yeah. But that's also clearly a tribute to the eccentricities that are supposed to delineate the different alien races in Babylon 5. And the fact that everyone is being brought together in a diplomatic situation like this, where it's very important. I mean, Eurovision, in a way, is all about soft power. So it's it. there's a truth to that. Mm. But I can't believe that referencing a, a, a you know, having a sci-fi show that is all about the diplomatic relationships between different races, they couldn't have been very, very much thinking of Babylon 5. I suspect. I suspect it is. Was that? Oh, I've no, I've got one more. Sorry. I did. I, I, I really wanted to complain about the plot holes um, because, because we were talking about plotting and how tight it was. And these are small. So yeah. they're and easily fixable. So they're nitpicks. But what the hell? That's not stopped us with any other show. No, no. So here we go. Number one no one's ever seen a Vorlon before. Yes. Least of all, Ben Kyle. So how is it that anyone expects him to be able to offer any sort of treatment at all? Sinclair is desperate for him to get in there and do an examination, but he's doing an examination against what reference? Okay. All right. And yet when he goes in there and manages to, to examine the Vorlon, he then is very very precise about how he he somehow works out the volon has been poisoned mm-hmm. so don't know what book on volon anatomy he was consulting to identify what the symptoms of volon poisoning would be but okay so now he's incredibly precise in hours of how long the volon has to live you know 10 hours and we've only got it's going to take seven hours to discover the th- antidote and but he's only got exactly 10 hours to live even though anyone no one knows anything about volons okay all right um i'll say that one of the areas that they will touch on in the world building will be how xenobiology medicine works okay in the future that that, i'll allow them to fix that so kyle will be a specialist in that because of where they are and and it is apparently a, a real thing. So okay. whether or not that would work okay. on a race you've absolutely never seen before, that's you've you've got an absolute point there. But he is a specialist well, the, on the, alien races. The, no, I understand being a specialist on alien races. That 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 makes sense. But if if no one's ever seen a a Vorlon, and that's the line, mm-hmm. what are the implications of that? I mean, does that mean you've never seen one in the flesh, or does that mean you've never seen one in the pages of a book because if you're a doctor and you 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 need to understand how the body works the the volon's body works in order to identify what's not working and to how it should normally look and function in order to say well these abnormalities amount to symptoms and these symptoms are symptoms of x or y so I think there's a big question mark there, and it's interesting. I think it's, it's fair. It's not commented on in, in the episode in any way. It's, he doesn't kind of, he doesn't say either, well, you know, 
commander, how could you possibly expect me to 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 offer any kind of treatment? Or even, um, commander, it's just as well I'm the universe's greatest expert on offering treatment to alien races that no one's ever seen before. Um, and, and it is truly that. No one has ever seen a Vorlon before. I, I don't think they've even seen them in their but, encounter suits. But what does I, that mean? They, if they have... To, are the are the books are the photographs are the are the nope. diagrams nope right because i because I, in that case i'm truly mystified how you practice medicine with with mm. absolutely nothing to go on well remember absolutely there is a, put this in your category too he, he remember his description of when he saw the vorlon horror shocking nothing's the same ever again that's yes that that probably should go in your four in your five year Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure whether that was a joke or, uh-uh. you know, I mean, not joke as obviously it wasn't funny, but as in just being kind of flippant. Okay, well, I'll wait and see about those. I, but I have got another plot hole to 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 throw in here, um, and I I don't see how you can fix this even you know even in space even in kind of off world logic because two one with one abstention. Is not a deadlock. I that, that didn't look purely, that up in that, Robert's Rules of Order, but I that was my impression too. <laughs> it's a, it's it's the definition of what abstention means. I mean, if she he was abstaining, it it has to be different from voting voting for, and yet it has no effect whatsoever. The vote is taken as a vote. Sorry, as a vote is against the motion, isn't it? It's a vote in favour of yeah. Sinclair. So the the abstention is taken as a vote against the motion. Well, no, wait. The motion it is a- isn't. Doesn't the motion? Well, okay. So the motion has to pass with. Maybe the motion has to pass with more than the number of votes cast or not or abstained. And at two, it cannot. At three, it can. But I don't know. You're right. No, 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 I agree. No, no. That didn't no. that didn't make any sense to me, and I think that's just setting it up for that line where Carolyn is, you know, complaining to Delenn. I thought you were his friend, and she says, "With regards to Sinclair, my orders are specific that I can only observe." And yeah, I can see they've got a problem with the maths, but they they have they have created a hole there because yeah, the 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 reality it, for, from a diplomatic point of view. If it, if it's purely a a kind of question of description, in other words, abstention or voting voting um, a, against are taken in exactly the same way, then it has no practical effect whether you call it a vote against or an abstention. It only has diplomatic consequences, in the sense that she has now alienated the the human. I mean, it yeah yeah. Yeah, I I agree. It does not fit the way I understand voting, but uh, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. It's definitely fair okay. Enough. But I'm all done. That that's it for plot holes. All right. So here is the here is the one thing that is an unfortunate reality of what we just watched, and and it it causes me a little bit of mental anguish. Uh, when Babylon 5 came out, when this movie came out, it came out in 1993 in February, and the series followed on in January of 1994. Um, when they made this pilot, like any other TV show, they shot a lot of stuff, 
and then they cut it to fit and you know trim it up and and do its thing babylon 5 was on ptem for four years and then that network went out of business and babylon 5 got picked up by tnt which is another network uh which is one of those back doors that that Swazinski didn't see but he did still manage to get around that um and we'll get to that in time but before it started airing on tnt they wanted to broadcast the pilot again and so they did but they re-edited it and this is the re-edit because you can't get the original and so i tried to find everything i could about re-edit and 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 one of the reasons that that this kind of this really does bother me is because as I as I alluded to earlier, there will be things that you see in episodes of Babylon 5, like headlines on newspapers, that will actually turn up later on in the series, which shows you on rewatch that they really did plan these things ahead to some degree. That 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 they're they're not just they're not they're not used like I, I was watching a show, uh, we did one on a podcast, uh, John and I, the other day, where a guy walks into a room and another guy's reading a newspaper and he says, oh, what's new? And he says, well, I see there was a bank robbery uh, or a jewel robbery and also that it's uh, this global warming or this polar warming at the South Pole. And you know that those two things will be in that episode and doggone if they don't somehow tie in later. It's nothing <laughs> like that. You know, it's, it, it's very subtle stuff. So where I'm going with that, is there is a scene that occurs in this episode. I won't say what it is, but it is an absolute dead, dead giveaway later on. You go, oh, wow, here we are. Day one, right off the bat, they gave away a huge major plot point in, a, in an underhanded way <laughs> that you, you can't possibly understand while watching this pilot. But if you see it again years later, you'll go, Oh, wow. What a clever guy. Except now I don't know whether that was in here because it could be a dubbed in line or whether it was put in for the TNT version later on, um, which would have occurred after that plot point was revealed. So it, it, that, but a lot of the things that they did, and this is why I wanted to bring it up at the end, was apparently they removed things like, uh, when Sinclair took Lita through the alien sector and he was talking about the atmospheres, apparently it was an extended scene where they walked around and showed you the aliens in their quarters so you could see all the crazy, weird prosthetics that they developed for the show. And apparently it played a little too much like they were walking through a zoo. So they, they cut that out. Mm. Um, and they tightened up a lot of the scenes. And then they added in a whole bunch of character exposition scenes. And I'm kind of wondering if Takashima's my history on Mars mm. and my coffee bean story and all of those things were not in the original. And I, the only place I can find that you might be able to get the original is you might be able to buy it on Amazon Prime, or not Amazon Prime, it's not for free streaming, but you might be able to purchase the electronic version and that might be the original. The one on iTunes is not. And apparently there was a German DVD set release that has it on it. And that's it. Otherwise, you can't get the original version of this to see how it goes. And we know this is not the original because it starts off with TNT Presents at, at, at the opening credits. So right. um, I, I think 
you know, they may not have been the best choices. When you get those scenes like Takashima, if that's if that bit has been added, because I think, you know, if I were looking at that scene in retrospect, the bit about the coffee beans tells you all you need to know that she's a person who will break the rules under certain circumstances. We didn't need to know all about the stuff on Mars to get that same thing. They're kind of two facets of the same story. So I'm thinking, you know, that seems like one of those character moments that got added in. So I think that's all there is to say about Babylon 5, The Gathering, the the redone edition. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, before I let you go, thank you for joining us on this special look at the Babylon 5 pilot movie. As you know, we're a listener-supported podcast, and we're always looking for ways to say thank you to our patrons. And I think we've got one that I hope you'll be as excited about as I am. We've decided that Babylon 5 stands a very good chance of being a rich topic of podcast conversation, and so... Starting next month, we'll be producing and releasing podcast episodes looking at Babylon 5, episode by episode, starting with Midnight on the Firing Line. We'll be releasing this on our Patreon supporters-only feed every three weeks for patrons who are supporting us for $4 or more per month. We call that our Anla Shock tier. If you're thinking about signing up, here's a logistical tip. Wait until after February 1st. We're doing a little bit of house cleaning. This is a project I've wanted to undertake for a long time, but haven't been able to work out a way to do until now. I hope you can join us. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, the Nigel Neal Beasts episode, What Big Eyes! Please come join me, Eugene. And me, Simon, as we discuss animal cruelty, parental cruelty, and the attitude of the RSPCA towards lycanthropy. All that next time. Please come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.